Jesus passed by, asked him and said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered and said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. So it's interesting. This story is very symmetrical. We're going to see today. It starts off with this very personal moment with Jesus. This guy then is healed. And he, has, he gets questioned by the Pharisees. Then they bring his mom in and dad, and they question them. Then the Pharisees question the guy again. And then it ends with this another final, very personal moment with Jesus. But one of the things I love, as Jesus is leaving, he's kind of on the, the getaway. He's getting out of the temple. And this guy is there. And we know from the, the text that he had been born blind, which leads us to believe that this was not an unfamiliar sight. If you were... Going to the temple at any time during this, the people that had disabilities, that couldn't work, they would beg and, and ask for alms outside of the temple, which is very strategic, right? People are going to honor God and bless God, and they walk by somebody that's begging, like, what are you going to be like, no, I'm not going to do that, you know, like, I'm going to ignore you and go worship Jesus. Like, it was very strategic. They, this is how they made their living. This man was probably there a lot. They were very common. Jesus may have walked by this guy a hundred times. We have no idea. But at this moment, in this time, the disciples ask him a very, a very common question that I even hear today. They said, who sinned that this man was born blind? And their two options were either he did or his parents did. I hear that even today. That question is still asked. If, something, if somebody's in a bad condition, if something's going on, if they have, there's somebody must have messed up for that to happen. Somebody must have sinned. They believed, Jewish culture back then believed that it was possible. Some believed that you could sin in your mother's womb. Um, there was some that believed you could sin as a, a baby, like there's these, or that it was something like even a pre-existence as, aspect. And so their question wasn't out of the blue. It wasn't like they were asking something totally absurd. But the idea that this bad thing happened was because of somebody's sin. Now, obviously, there are consequences for when people mess up. Like if somebody's in jail because they did a crime, they're like, God's doing this to me. It's like, no, you made some poor choices, right? You're in jail, right? Or right, there's, there's consequences for sin, but this text is very specific that we're not talking about that, right? So when I'm talking about sin and and consequent, I'm not talking about that, because obviously this man was born blind. He had no say in his lot in life. He was born this way, okay? And so I think the thing we just need to bring to light is that people still, many times, still believe this, that God is doing this to me. I must have done something wrong. I'm suffering right now. It must be a punishment for something I did, and, um, or this thing was done to me. Maybe I deserve it, Right? I just want to say right now that that's a lie. That is a lie, right? 
like I said, we're not talking about consequence. We're talking about just the reality that we have suffering. The reason why I can say that is that God's design for this world was not the way that it is. When God made this world, he made it perfect and good and beautiful and lovely. There was no disease. There was no death. There was no sin. There was no abuse. There was no injustice. It was good and perfect, and he created human beings in a way to image him and shine him to the rest of creation. And unfortunately, we broke it. Adam and Eve chose to define good and evil on their own terms rather than trusting God's definition. They believed the lie of the serpent. They took of the tree. They ate. They sinned. And the whole world broke. Sin, death, destruction came in immediately. If you read through Genesis, immediately after that you see marriage is broken, death, Cain and Abel, I mean, it just got out of hand real, real quick, and it hasn't gotten back together. And so we have to realize and understand that the pain and suffering that comes in this world isn't because God designed it that way, but it's, it's, it's a, ultimately it's a byproduct of this world breaking. But here's the good news. God was not content to leave his creation in that state. He was not content to let his image bearers remain in this state of distortion and brokenness. And he pursued humanity and he had a plan to bring human beings back into this relationship with himself where they can image him again. And it ultimately involved Jesus coming and redeeming the world. God being a redeemer is one of my favorite attributes about him because we see throughout scripture that human beings are notorious for screwing things up and causing pain and causing evil and injustice happening and God is so good about taking that brokenness and the worst that humanity can do and redeeming it and bringing good out of it. I think of stories like Joseph. His brothers hated him and were jealous of him and they sold him into slavery and God used that to save his entire family and save ultimately a whole nation. Or like or Samson. Samson was a mess. I get that he's in our kids' child books and like we want to be like Samson. Samson was a train wreck. And God used that guy to free Israel despite his messed up life. I mean, the guy was a, like a mess, right? Or I think of Solomon. Solomon was the result of David murdering his mom's first husband and having an affair with her. And yet this became the king that built the temple, the dwelling place of God Almighty on earth. This became the king that was the wisest there ever was. God is in the business of taking evil and brokenness and messed up things and bringing good out of it. And we can trust him for that. And it's awesome. And in this situation, it's no different. They ask, who sinned? And we see Jesus' answer was, no. He said, no. Who is it? Is it his mom or his dad? No. Is it him or his parents? No. That's not what happened. What does Jesus say? He goes, this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, this is a little, I think this is something we have to just address briefly. We have Jesus saying that God intentionally, in this case, made this man this way for his entire life so that God could display his works or his glory through him. And I know that is hard to hear. That doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem like that's worth it maybe. But at the end of the day when we have to trust God and his plan. Okay? So we know that it wasn't because he sinned. It wasn't because his parents sinned. But God's like, I made him this way. 
because I wanted to display my power, my works through him. And I just think about that this man has been here for years. And for whatever reason, God allowed him to remain in that state for this very moment. But here's something that's beautiful about this. It's easy for us, I think, for us to look at this story and go, well, we know how it ends, so of course it's a good ending. But this man didn't know his ending. He didn't know the end of the story. But what I think is beautiful is this man has heard the first part of the story every single day. Kids could have been walking into the temple with their parents, and they could have been, why is that guy like that? Oh, somebody's sin is probably him or his parents, da-da-da-da-da. And for the first time in his life, this guy is hearing from Jesus, no, God has a plan for this man's life. It wasn't because of his sin. It wasn't because of his parents' sin. It's because I have a plan. God has a plan for him. And I think that for this moment, he couldn't see Jesus, but Jesus saw him. So that God is wanting to do a mighty work in him. It may have been the first time in his life that he heard this. No, he doesn't deserve this. No, his parents didn't deserve this. Actually, God has something special lined up for him. And then Jesus heals him. He takes spit and he makes mud, which is also kind of a weird way of healing somebody. And he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Which is interesting because the one who fashioned mud and made the humans in the beginning, who made the very eyes that were blind, again stoops down and fashions mud to heal him. The pool of Siloam is kind of a cool thing because this whole last few weeks of our story has involved the Feast of Tabernacles, which at the very end they would pour water out representing the water coming from the rock, they would pull that water actually from the pool of Siloam and dump it out. When Jesus said, come to me, we're all thirsty, and, and you have waters, li- li- waters of, of living water flowing out of you, and all that, that, that water was taken from the pool of Siloam. And then the pool means, the, the word Siloam means one who is sent. And for the Jews, many believed that this water, this pool, really represented the the bringing of the Spirit, so there was some significance in that. So the man goes, believes Jesus, which is interesting to me, probably hands, kind of walks along the wall all the way down. It's the farthest pool possible from where he was at. There was closer ones. He's like, no, we're going to go to the long one, right? Walks all the way down, washes, comes back seeing, which I just imagine this guy walking back up these stairs he's never seen but always felt going back to the spot where his bed was, where he always begged but never saw, and seeing in a totally different light. So then, then everything starts going weird with the Pharisees. Verse 9, it says, The neighbors of those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, He is. And others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, well, then how are your eyes open? And he's like, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And so they said to him, where is he? And he's like, I don't know. I love this story. It's like, of course, right? So then they brought him to the Pharisees, uh, the man who had formerly was blind. And now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And so he told them the same exact thing. How the man who... And, um, and some of the Pharisees said to him, this man is not of God, for he did not keep the Sabbath. But others said, well, how can the man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. And so they said to the blind man, what do you say about him? He that opened your eyes. And he said, well, he's a prophet. 
And so, briefly, we'll just talk about this. Um, a couple things. One, people can't believe it. People know this man. This isn't done in secret. Everybody knows this guy was blind, and now he's seeing. They're realizing something happened. But let's look at his progression real quick. So his neighbors ask him, who was it that healed you? And he said, the man named Jesus. And then he gets brought before the Pharisees, and there's a division, and they're, they're frustrated because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Like, that's all they could see. Their focus was really on, he's messing up. It's on the sin of breaking the Sabbath, so their tradition of the Sabbath. They can't celebrate the beauty of God healing this guy. And so they ask him, well, then who, what do you say of him? He goes, he is a prophet. So we see that this, this guy's eyes are opened, and yet he's seeing Jesus a little bit different as the story progresses. Verse 9, verse 18, uh, chapter 9, verse 18. And so the Jews did not believe him, that he had been blind and received his sight. And they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and they asked them, and they said, is this your son who you say was born blind? How is it that he sees? And his parents said, well, we know that's our son, and we know that he was born blind, but how he sees, we don't know um, about how his eyes are open. How about you ask him? He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Now, his parents were afraid because uh, they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Christ, that they'd be put out of the synagogue. And therefore, his parents said, he is of age. So they're afraid that they're going to be kicked out of the synagogue, that's pretty significant in a Jewish culture. Like, it's totally, you're totally ostracized. You're out of community, out of fellowship. And so there was such a fear of Jesus' work. It was so huge that if they would say, it was Jesus probably healed them, they would have been put out. But also you see their fear of not wanting to um, say much. And then we get on to, again, the passage with uh, the blind man with the Pharisees in verse 24. So for the second time they called the man, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he said, Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, Well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've already told you. You haven't listened. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be him as a disciple? And they reviled him, yeah. You're his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. But as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. And the man said, well, isn't this amazing thing that you don't know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has anything heard of anyone opening the eyes of a man that was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could not do these things. He could do nothing. They answered him, you were born of utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. And so, again, we have the Pharisees unwilling to believe in tr what's going on with um, Jesus and all the stuff that he's doing. They bring the guy in for his second set of questioning. I love this man's response. They're like, listen, tell us what happened. He's like, I already told you. He's like, well, like, they, they couldn't accept it. And this is the thing I, wanna, I just want to touch on with this part of our story. This man knew nothing. He didn't know who Jesus was. At this point, Jesus is a prophet. And his response to, well, what changed in you? Something is like, you're healed. What changed? And he says, I don't know. I was blind, and now I see. One of the things I hear so often about people, especially when they first start following Jesus and all these changes start happening, their desires change. And, and so often, people that had known them for years and are going, you're different. What is it? What's going on? We don't always have the answer. This guy didn't have, he's like, I don't know, man. Like, I was blind, 
and I see. Like, and sometimes I think that's the best answer, where we can go, what happened? I don't know. Like, I met Jesus, and I'm different. Like, I don't know how it works. We don't know how it works. I love that, here's the reality. When it comes to following Jesus, we don't always have clean answers. We don't always have everything perfectly formulated in a perfect answer, and that's okay. God is greater than our answers and our understanding of him. He is mysterious and great. Like for us to be able to take this great, vast other God, God outside of time, space, and matter, this, this a magnificent being, and be able to put him in these defined parameters so that we have some answer for everybody that we feel comfortable because we have an answer. Like it is okay to so say, I don't know. Like I don't know how he works. I don't know why he did that. Like it's, I don't know why he works. Sometimes it feels like different in, different areas of the world. I don't know. Like, why do some people see all this miraculous and I don't? I don't know. But what we can do on a personal level is say, you know what? I don't know, but this is what I know. I was this way and now I'm changed. And, it, and there was this moment when I started trusting Jesus and this happened. Like, what we can share is what we know. Sometimes what holds so, so many I talk to back is we try to, we're worried about all the stuff we don't know. Well, I don't know enough about this. and I don't know enough about this. I don't know enough about this. Just tell me what you do know. And it might be literally only I was blind, but now I see. That's it. And so our story continues. They get mad at him. They end up calling Jesus the sinner, which is hilarious, right? First is this guy must be a sinner because he's blind. Well, then Jesus must be a sinner because he healed him. None of it makes sense. But here's the reality. The Pharisees were when they were actually blind. They were blind to the reality of who Jesus was. They couldn't see Jesus as the Messiah because he didn't fit into their mold. They couldn't see God working the way that he did because he didn't follow their traditions of the Sabbath. They couldn't see the good of what happened because they were so focused on looking at the sin. But I think often we can define and, and limit God in the same way. Here's the thing that I think is very common. Often in religion... And when I'm saying religion, I'm talking about stuff outside of just following Jesus. The emphasis is so much always on what you do and don't do. That it's this idea that, the, that that's not even really good news. It's like, if you do all this stuff, you're acceptable to God. And if you don't do this stuff, you're acceptable to God. But if you do it, then God's mad at you and, and God's disappointed in you. And if you don't do all this stuff, then God's mad at you and disappointed at you. And so there's this constant striving and working. Am I doing enough to be pleasing to God? Am I doing enough for God to, to love me? And, and, or is God disappointed at me and mad at me? And am I, am, I, am I worthy enough? And all of these things. And there's such an emphasis on us. And what ends up happening in that context is we're so focused on us or on our neighbor that we're missing Jesus now I'm not minimizing sin I'm not minimizing being obedient I'm not minimizing that at all what I'm saying is is that when our focus is seeing God at work and our focus is on Jesus and his grace and the fact that he is the only one that makes us worthy to God and he is the only one that makes us acceptable to the father because he is the only one that's righteous and he is the only one that's paid for our sins. I can't work them off. I can't pay them off. That changes my heart, and it takes the blindness essentially away, and I become wanting to do things that please God, not because if I don't, I'm going to be rejected, but because if I do, I, I'm doing it out of response to the fact that I'm already accepted. I'm already loved by the Father, and I want to respond with obedience. I want to respond with doing good. It changes all of it. And when we, 
when we're not functioning, that we're missing out on just the life abundant that God offers. And so these guys were missing out, obviously. They throw the guy out. Just imagine this guy. He's outside the temple. He's already separated essentially from God's promises because he's this blind beggar. And now he finally gets to go in. They kick him out again. I just find it, stories always crack me up. John chapter 9, verse 36. Let's close this out. And Jesus said to them, Oh, so, and then Jesus heard that they'd cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered and said to him, Sir, that I might believe in him. Sir, who is he that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, You, are, you have seen him, and it is he that is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come to the world, that those who do not see may see, and those that, um, who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, <clears throat> you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. A couple things. Jesus comes and he finds this guy. He says, do you believe? He reveals himself to be the Messiah. And we see this guy's response as he calls him Lord and he worships him. And we see the progress of this man's journey Right? He went from being physically blind and not knowing who Jesus is to the end being not only healed of his physical blindness, but he's healed of his spiritual blindness. He's able to see Jesus physically, but he's also to, to understand who he is and his response is calling him Lord and worshiping him. Now, a couple of things as we close out that I thought was really, really powerful as I was processing through. That is with the Pool of Siloam. I know I already talked a little bit out of it, um, but as we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, it's important for us to understand that in Exodus, the first time we have this understanding of the water was when Moses, the, they were, the Israelites were in the wilderness and they were, they were thirsty, and God tells Moses to go strike the rock and water comes out. And we know, because of the New Testament, that's pointing us to Jesus. But later on in the story, in the book of Ezekiel, there's a passage in, in Ezekiel chapter 47 where Ezekiel's having this vision and he's seeing water kind of dripping out of the temple and this water is becoming a stream which is becoming a great river and it's in the desert and everywhere this water goes, life and, and flourishing and vegetation and all this stuff starts happening, right? And so for the Jewish person, they know these stories and then Jesus gets up during the Feast of Tabernacle, and he pours out this water, and water comes rushing down the stairs, and he says, I'm the water. I'm the water. And if we go back to the very beginning of kind of our story, we talked about how God made this world good and perfect and right, and there was no pain and suffering disease, and the, it broke. Essentially, the, there was, there's desert. And I find it cool in this story that he takes this water out of the Pool of Siloam, or well, he takes spit and he makes mud and this guy goes washes in this pool and he comes back seeing it's as though jesus is coming and he's restoring just a little bit of how the world was before sin he's coming and healing this man's eyes he's bringing life and flourishing out of the desert in this little little case and ultimately that's what we're doing Right? As we go and encounter people and interact with people, we're bringing a little bit of the world that God is one day going to restore, even if it's just be for a moment. Another thing I want to just throw out there is that Jesus found this guy. Like, how awesome is that? Like, so often it's like, have you found Jesus? 
I mean, Jesus isn't lost. We're the ones that are lost, right? Like, Jesus found him. I think it's such, it's one of my favorite aspects of this story that Jesus went and found this guy that had been rejected his entire life and just got rejected by the religious establishment that he's been a part of because Jesus healed him. And Jesus finds this guy and essentially pursues him and finds him. And not only does he find him, but he reveals himself to him in a very, very powerful way. Think about this. Very few people, everybody was asking Jesus, who are you, who are you? His disciples didn't even know fully who he was. And they'd ask him, he'd always give these very, like, kind of obscure answers. And like, I've already told you who I am. They're like, really? I don't remember the conversation about that, right? And Jesus goes to this guy, I think of the woman in Samaritan, the Samaritan woman, and he says to him, he is very explicit, like, I'm the Messiah. That's who I am. I'm the savior of the world that you've been waiting for. It's in these, these with people that, we're so outside on the fringe. It's these are the people that Jesus is revealing himself to in a very explicit way. He comes to this guy and goes, I'm the Messiah. I'm talking to you right now. I'm the son of man. Like what a sweet privilege. It's so interesting that as this man has been separated from the presence of God his whole life, that the presence of God comes to him and finds him as he does with us. And then lastly, I think this is a good reminder just to be patient with ourselves, is that this man went through a process of seeing and trusting Jesus. He went through a process. He didn't just wake up one day and then have everything radically changed and he understood everything. Jesus was a, started with a, as a man to him, became a prophet, became Lord, and finally God to the point that he worshipped him. And the reason why I bring that up is that we see for him, it started with him beginning to see, right, physically, but it, it took time for him to understand and, and spiritually see. And that's the same with us. I think that so often there's this shame aspect of us, like I said, not knowing enough, not understanding enough, I'm not progressing enough, I'm not far enough along as I think, but here's the reality, is it says in Philippians 1.6 that he who began to get work in you will complete it. God is the one that's doing the work. He is the one that's making you more like himself. And sometimes it takes time. It takes longer than others. And at the end of the day, we can sit back and go, why am I not better? But that, and then again, that's usually falling under the same idea that I'm looking at myself and I'm, and I'm looking at all my own flaws and I'm focused on myself again. Let me encourage you with this. The process of you becoming more like Jesus, the process of being made more in the image of God, the process of God making you new and changing you is God's responsibility, not yours. All our responsibility is, is to respond. And that might involve us getting into the Bible and learning and getting to know him more. It might involve us spending time in prayer. It might involve us come coming and worshiping with other followers of Jesus. But at the end of the day, your growth and your progress ultimately is God's responsibility. And he is the one that is promised to complete the work that he began. And you might feel that you're pushed out and that you might be wandering aimlessly like what I'm going, but I promise you that at some point in his timing, Jesus will find you and he'll reveal himself more to you. And like I mentioned last week, that as God reveals more of himself to us, it does have a changing effect. The more we see Jesus, even if it's just a little bit every day, is the more we become more like him.
And so with that, let your focus be on Jesus. Let him be focused on his work that he has done for you. He's lived the perfect life that you can't live. He's fulfilled all of God's requirements for human beings. But at the same time, he paid the consequence and the penalty for our sin on the cross for not living up to those standards. And so when we trust him, when we accept the gift that he gives, he gives us the righteousness that he earned and he takes away the sin that we earned. It's a really bad transaction for him, but it benefits us really, really well. And so when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees his son that was obedient. He sees his son and his love for us. He, he's, he's the God that welcomes us with open arms and comes. And that alone, I've never talked to anybody that says, well, that seems too easy. I'm gonna go do whatever I want. Like any person I know that's followed Jesus, they hear that and all we wanna do is like, I wanna love you in return. I wanna respond. So with that, we're gonna close out with a couple more songs of worship. During this time, we do offer... Uh